Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hi, this is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to the Tennis Podcast. Well, hello, and welcome to the Tennis Podcast, brought to you from a slightly happier place than our last tennis podcast. The world is a slightly happier place because dogs are to return to the White House. Champ and Major, two German shepherds, uh, one of them a rescue, the uh, the White House's first ever rescue dog, momentous occasion. Uh, they will be they will be moving in in January. Happy days. That's- I mean, what more could you need than that? that as a reason, I mean, that's enough on its own, aside from everything else. Um, what, what sort of history is there of dogs in the White House? Do we know? Oh, the, up until 2016, a beautiful, illustrious history of uh, of dogs in the White House. Uh, the Obamas had a had a couple. I remember uh, Bill Clinton had a, I think, a black lab. Um, dogs in the White House is very much a a thing, or or had been until until 2016, something that uh, Bruce Springsteen, of course, pointed out in one of his um, bits of campaign materials. But yet, Champ and Major, uh, two two German shepherds, uh, they look lovely, and uh, they are they are a very uh, welcome addition to world democracy. <laughs> Matt? Yes, that is the big news of the weekend. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, yeah, that's what's been happening in the world. How are you feeling? Are you still glued to CNN, Matt? How have you filled the CNN void in your life? Are you still following the the as-yet-incomplete Arizona count (laughs) by the minute? Um. No, I'm not actually. I have I have detached myself from CNN since Saturday or Sunday. I finally let go. I feel like I've made I've made some friends there though. I'll probably be checking in <laughs> on them every now and again over the next four years. I think. Um, I mean, I really did admire their coverage and their broadcasting, and it really did make me feel a lot more informed about the election than I've ever been and had been before. So yes, I, I feel like I owe them some sort of commitment in the future but th- just it's been quite nice for the last 24 hours to have let go because literally it was on the entire time and it was fortunate because it meant I did see the moment that they called it I think they were the first ones and I know a lot of people that had it on for four straight days and then kind of missed the actual moment my sister was complaining about that but I uh, I did have it on in the background. I fell asleep with CNN on for two consecutive nights and I dreamt about John King on both of those <laughs> nights. So right. that is the Details. weird Twilight Zone vortex that well I was just sort of in the room with him while he was doing uh while he was doing his touchscreen analysis. I was just sort of there and a and part of it, which was it was great. It was great. Um I hope John King that you are having a lovely long sleep. If you're listening, uh, which I'm, I'm sure I mean, you he are. should be. I mean, he should. Be. I mean, we've listened enough to him. Yes, so, exactly. You know, it would only yes. be polite 
now, uh, while all that was happening, there was also tennis unfolding uh, in Paris, a tournament that was won by Daniil Medvedev in three sets yesterday in the final over Alexander Zverev. We are going to be talking about that and other significant results from Paris this week. We're going to be looking ahead to uh, Linz, the final remaining WTA tournament of the year, which is uh, just getting underway as we record on Monday and also the tournament in Sophia this week on the ATP tour, breaking news, Rafael Nadal did not enter qualifying in Sofia. Uh, so Novak Djokovic is the confirmed year-end number one for a sixth time. But unfortunately, we we have to start off with something that is sort of a bigger and more significant story than, than all of that. And um, a very, very unpleasant one. We, we've covered it um briefly up until now in our previous two podcasts and and uh, as we said I think on Thursday we were expecting um this uh, big interview done by Ben Rothenberg as it turns out in Racket magazine uh, one of the uh, publications that he contributes to not the New York Times as we were expected but in in Racket magazine a a big interview an account from Olia Sharapova, the former girlfriend of Paris finalist Alexander Zverev, who has made allegations of physical and emotional abuse um, against Alexander Zverev. Now, as I said, this this was a very, very in-depth account that she gave Ben Rothenberg in Racket magazine. They spent two hours together um at a at a family friend's house in New Jersey a family friend of uh, of Sharapova um i would i would urge you to read the piece so that you can hear her story for yourself and uh, and make up your own minds about how you feel um about it but it it's certainly an incredibly harrowing and saddening account um it's very very difficult to read she details um allegations of abuse taking place at the 2019 US Open at the Labour Cup um, in 2019. A number of in, a number of incidents, she alleges, um, at Zverev's home in, in Monaco over the course of that year. Um, she doesn't go into detail about the end of their relationship. She said that's something she may or may not tell um, at a later date. But she talks about having her head hit against the wall about being smothered uh, with a pillow. Um, she talks about uh, taking a, making an attempt on her own life during this period. It's, a, it's an incredibly distressing account. Um, and it's one that has been put to Alexander Zverev over the course of the week in Paris. He obviously released that Instagram statement uh, a week ago at the time that uh, Sharapova initially made the allegations on her own Instagram, we, we read out Zverev's statement at the time. Um, but since this more detailed account from Sharapova came out, um, Zverev has been been given the opportunity to, to comment further um, on it after his first round win over Misha Ketchmanovic in Paris. Um, he was asked, I think this was on Wednesday, he was asked, I wanted to find out how do you manage to stay so focused with your tennis on court, with everything that you've been having to deal with off the court? He said, Zverev, well, I'm here to play tennis. So, you know, I've been doing that well the last few weeks. I mean, since the comeback of the season, I want to continue doing that. As you said, there is obviously a little bit of things going on. There is some very good news, I think. Yeah, I'm happy to be here and playing tennis. Um, there was a follow-up question um, uh, in that same press conference. The question was, given those allegations against you by your ex-girlfriend of domestic abuse, I know you said on social media they are unfounded and simply not true. My question is whether you're planning on doing anything else to clear your name. And he said, look, right now, as I said, I've said everything on my Instagram, yet there is nothing else I can add right now. I'm here. I'm here to play tennis. I mean, the relationship, as I said, has been over for a very long time. I'm enjoying my time on court. I've said everything. They are not true. And there is nothing more I can say right now. Um, he was asked on Thursday about the allegations, uh, the specifics of the allegations at the Labour Cup last year and at uh, his Monaco apartment. The question was, do you have any response to this? Did these incidents take place? 
Sarah said, well, as I said before, I think I've said everything on my Instagram. There is nothing more I can say to that. As I said, they're not true. And I hope that, yeah, as I said, I've said everything. Then on Friday, after Zverev beat Stan Wawrinka, he was asked uh, again, can you say, are you considering legal action uh, in response to these allegations? And if not, then why not? He said, so far, I've said everything. I've said everything in my statement. There is nothing more that I can say right now. And on Saturday, after that impressive win over Rafael Nadal, Zverev was asked uh, once again, the last time you had some personal stuff off court with your former manager, your tennis took a toll. It was a struggle for you. Yet this time, you have not reacted this way to off court issues. I'm just wondering if you learned something from what you went through off court last time that is helping you through this sort of mentally put everything else out of your mind. He said, me as a person, I think I do realise now that there is going to always be people that will not want the best for you. And there is always going to be people that try to put you down when you're on top. It's up to me if I'm going to let that happen. I'm doing quite a good job of not letting that happen and I'm still enjoying myself. As long as you still have a smile at the end of the day, I think that's the most important in life. And to round off Zverev's comments on the matter from the week, uh, we had his on-court interview yesterday after he lost out to Daniil Medvedev in the final. He said the following, he said, one last thing. I know there is going to be a lot of people that right now are trying to wipe a smile off my face. But under this mask, I'm smiling. I feel incredible on court. I have the people that I love around me. I'm going to be a father very soon. Everything is great in my life. The people who are trying can keep trying, but I'm still smiling under this mask, even though you can't see. Um, and that was, those were words and a sentiment that he repeated um, when asked to kind of elaborate and explain those comments in his press conference afterwards. Um, so that's where we are in terms of uh, Olya Sharapova's allegations and Zverev's response to them, albeit not a, not a very detailed one at this stage. It's been, it's been a, it's been a challenging week, David and Matt, for people like us and fans that that follow tennis because we don't we don't want to be talking about this stuff or thinking about it but but we must it it can't be ignored no no you can't ignore it it's um there those allegations are out there that story has been done we've all read it you can't ignore it uh and it's only right that we as the media give alexander's verve chance to answer them um as you can tell, he he just wasn't he wasn't interested in, in in elaborating or talking about the details that that further came out from Racket Magazine. I I was personally really quite shocked that that, that he chose to say what he said on court. I, I really was surprised by that. I was watching the match. I watched the presentations and. I think one of the last things I expected was was him was that he would take a. A, a position like that on the court and I, I thought that was a, a bad move to be honest regardless of of, of however he might feel that, that it it didn't feel to me as though he was getting the tone right of of the situation at all in what he said um because yes he said that the allegations are untrue he said that they are unfounded but I don't know who he's talking to when he says, I know there are a lot of people trying to wipe the smile off my face. I, I don't really know what, what that means. Um, and uh, and I, th I think that that was ill-advised, to be quite honest. Um, reading a couple of days before um, that interview with Racket Magazine appeared, um, I, I was... I was very interested in what John Wertheim had to say in his Sports Illustrated mailbag um, in terms of how we and the sport can react to a situation like this because obviously it gets thrown around on social media um, but so far the ATP hasn't said anything. Um, so far, as we've heard, Alexander Zverev has said very little um and so we're left with this this vacuum um 
This is this are a few things that John Wertheim wrote in his Sports Illustrated mailback. He said, first of all, these are allegations and not charges. And as always, the accused is entitled to presumptions. John then goes on to say, but these are serious, incredible accusations. And the idea is a few of you, in terms of his readers, have said that this is a she said, he said situation is really misguided. This is, John writes, she made a detailed allegation backed by supporting documentation and has a friend who offers a contemporaneous account. He responded clumsily in the same post in which he confirmed that a different ex-girlfriend is pregnant with his child. No criminal charges have been filed, though the statute of limitations in New York has not lapsed, and surely there is more to the story that is likely to emerge and will better inform judgment. But it is sloppy and wrong to suggest that these are simply two competing accounts that somehow cancel each other out. John then goes on to say, Several of you have asked about the ATP's role here. Other, more conventional leagues have domestic violence policies that have been collectively bargained, often drafted in conjunction with a players' association. That's not how tennis is set up. But there is language in the ATP rulebook that could result in discipline. And he links to a page in the rulebook which I've I've read about um, players' behaviour and, and basically the reputation of the sport. Um, the ATP ought to give serious consideration to ordering up an independent investigation, John writes. In a read-the-room kind of way, do you really want to ignore an alleged act of domestic violence committed allegedly by a top player during a tournament in a tournament hotel? This was not an alleged bad act on the order of doping or match-fixing that undermines competition, but if conduct severely damaging to the reputation of the sport is the standard, this would sure seem to threaten to meet the threshold. All the more so if criminal charges stem, which hardly seems out of the question. An investigation may absolve the accused. It's possible the accuser will decline to cooperate, but it's not a good look, as they say, for the ATP to do nothing when a woman alleges that a player, quote, tried to choke me with a pillow, hit me, hit my head against the wall and twisted my hands. John then finishes up here and says, I asked an NBA executive how his league would handle this fact pattern. That is, if Zverev were an NBA player, what would happen? His response? He would likely be suspended provisionally with pay pending the outcome of the investigation, at least under the NBA's applicable domestic violence policy. Now, I, I subsequently went up and had a look at the, the NFL's policy, and they've had a, a lot of these sort of cases with allegations of this type. And and it, it appears to have evolved over the last few years, this policy. And, and absolutely, it does appear that if a situation like this happens, they put the player temporarily on the sidelines while they conduct an investigation. Um, and, uh, yeah, that, that appears to just not be something that the ATP, I don't know about the other tennis governing bodies, but certainly in this case, hasn't been done at this point and there isn't any suggestion, we haven't heard of anything, to suggest that that's going to happen in this case. In fact, we've we've actually heard nothing from the ATP. Mm, that's really interesting. I guess one difference is that the ATP is not a league like the NBA and the NFL and players don't receive salaries. They have to play to earn. But I don't see why that would prevent an investigation being set up, I guess. Just the mechanics of it might have to be different. Um, just to pick up on what Catherine said, that this was, you know, kind of a, a sad week for the sport and this massive stain on the sport and this blemish and kind of sucking away the joy we have for it. And I think there's a reason that we're all feeling that way beyond the actual allegations that have been made. And that's because of the reaction from both Zverev and from the silence from the ATP and the sort of tennis governing community as a whole and I think those two things go hand in hand I mean just to look at the way Zverev's handled it I think even if there was a thorough investigation carried out and it was found that Zverev is correct in saying that the allegations were not true I would still find it troubling the way he's handled it and still find it disappointing um I think, firstly, that, that statement he put out, 
you said there, David, that John Wertheim described it as clumsy, and I really thought that was the right word, sort of juxtaposing his impending fatherhood with the very serious allegations against his name, I thought was weird and, and, and wrong, and the way he put the allegation as as second on that statement, you know, kind of relegated its importance, I suppose, and almost was quite dismissive. And I think that's generally been his reaction to it. Um, I mean, I know the notes app is the done thing for statements, but it just comes across as quite shoddy for what is actually a very serious matter, I think. And then he he took that attitude further, as you said, in those on-court comments yesterday, which... I thought was staggering, actually, in terms of not grasping the seriousness of this and both in terms of tone and also in what he's actually said. Nowhere has he said, I abhor domestic violence and um, I'm taking this matter very seriously. That hasn't come up at all. And his voice matters. He's a prominent figure. He needs to be, I think, denouncing this sort of pattern of emotional and physical abuse and saying it's not okay. Um, But then I think the ATP as well have got a a role in this. And I think had the ATP come out with a statement or come out with some kind of announcing an investigation, I don't think Zverev would have been able to comment on it in the tone that he's used. Um, I've not been that surprised that they've been silent or slow off the mark. Um, You know, we look at the Gimmelstop case last year, it took a while for him to be suspended, even though there was a lot of evidence against him. You can also mention the Basilashvili case, the fact that he's had a domestic violence charge against him since May and has kept playing. And there's been nothing said about that, as far as I can tell. And they're kind of using silence, I think, as a mechanism of trying to get by and hoping it goes away. And it's not going to. And I think actually in this case, the silence is, is kind of making things worse because it's it's sending out this message that, well, it's sending out a message to any domestic violence victims that an alleged perpetrator, someone accused, can get away with it and can actually be celebrated. And I think no matter what the truth is, that's the reason that a lot of women find it very difficult to come forward about this when it happens to them. So I think those two things go hand in hand, Zverev's disappointing reaction and the reaction from the ATP. Um, And I think if those things had been handled better, we'd have a better feeling about the sport handling this situation properly and and doing what it can. Um, And then I I just want to finish just by saying that, you know, these are allegations from Olya that need to be treated with respect and... There are a lot of specifics. There's a lot of there's a lot of corroboration already to them. And I can only imagine the messages she must be receiving now. I mean, I don't even need to imagine someone sent us a screenshot of some of the messages on her Instagram. And frankly, it's disgusting. And th- there is this default skepticism, I think, when someone comes out with these allegations. And you saw it in, in the story. The, the, the people, uh, Vassil her friend and Mrs. V, who's referred to in the story, Vassil's mother, initially not believing Olia and sort of wanting her to go back to Zverev. I found that that's such an important part of that story and good on them for having the self-reflection to self-examine. But, you know, people people bang on about needing to treat Zverev as innocent until proven guilty and but you need to I think extend that to Olio as well the other side of the coin is you need to thoroughly investigate everything she's saying as well and only then will we find out the outcome of all this but there's a lot of processes that I just think should be happening which aren't happening and um, yeah I think it's just been a disappointing disappointing reaction Mm, I think that's I think it's very well said from from both of you the 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 default skepticism is something I've been been grappling with this week and and grappling in the wider in the wider sense with the the believe women slogan which has sometimes been extrapolated out to believe all women and it's it's something that it's something that the feminist movement has come under fire a lot about and i think for me some of it legitimately um 
And I think for me, what Believe Women doesn't mean suspend all your critical faculties and apply no scrutiny ever to to things that, that women say. For me, it means listen to women and respect their stories and don't default to assumptions or default default questioning of the credibility um, of the woman telling them. I think it's about interrogating yourself and your conscious or unconscious bias that you you may well have when when hearing stories like these and and yeah for for me that's what that slogan means um and yeah i found the, the some of the responses i suppose what what's most depressing about them is how un, unsurprising they are as you say matt some of the responses on her her instagram are hugely upsetting um so yeah i would just i would urge that you you read her account in detail and listen to it and and maybe listen to it with some self-reflection about unconscious bias biases that we we may all have i mean i absolutely absolutely respect zverev's right to his side of the story he is electing not to give us that at the moment and that that is disappointing um and what he is electing to give us i i i echo both of your thoughts about that being even more than than disappointing um yeah it's a it's a horrible thing to be having to talk about but as you've both said silence is silence is damaging we can't just move on from this um so yeah, it's a it's been a it's been a challenging week to be a tennis fan, unfortunately. Better week to be a dog fan. <laughs> Absolutely right. Yeah, very well said, both of you. I think uh, on that. Um, and yeah, I I hope that more of a reaction is going to be forthcoming. And yeah, taking the details of this set of allegations one by one and addressing them because I think that that's what this and any case of this type requires. Mm. So I'm just going to say one one other player had, had spoken out in support of Olio, which was Nicole Gibbs, after reading the Racket magazine story. Uh, she actually tweeted that it reads like a memoir for victims of physical and emotional violence and um she's she's urging people to as you said listen and take it seriously and um yeah yeah and those are she and and daria gavrilova are the are the lone voices among among players as it stands at, at the moment to uh to have commented commented on the situation just to to extrapolate it all out a little bit to to the tennis um, makes me think of a question that we had in one of our listener questions episodes earlier in the year um, about tennis sangren, and it was from an American listener asking us um, whether it's acceptable for him to, or whether he should feel comfortable supporting tennis sanguine when he watches him given given some of his views that he's expressed that this listener and and many many others i'm sure um would feel hugely uh uncomfortable with and i i can't quite remember what you both said on the matter but but my my feeling was some people are able to separate tennis from the the views and positions of those that play it and that's fine. And some people aren't. And I think that's fine, too. If you I've seen a lot of responses on Twitter from from people, particularly women saying I'm uncomfortable with watching Alexander Zverev play tennis now. I'm unable to enjoy it. And whilst that's a dreadful shame, I completely respect that. But I also respect that some people are able to detach themselves and just enjoy the tennis. Um, and I think people have very, very different responses in that way um and and neither is right nor wrong i i think i think i drew the comparison about whether you can still enjoy michael jackson music i have it's a it's a debate i come to with my friends a lot some of them 
have thrown out his back catalogue, can't listen to it, can't enjoy it. And some of them, some of them can. And I personally, I think that's okay. Um, so uh, yeah, it, he's played some great tennis this week, Alexander Zverev. And if you were able to watch and enjoy that, that's fine. I think. Hmm. What's that expression? The art is almost always better than the artist. And I think that certainly applies to a lot of musicians and you, and their music. And you can extend that to sport as, as well, I think. Um, personally, I, I just found, as I said, it, it, it's just a blemish and a stain on the sport at the moment. And it's not, it's not necessarily specifically even Alexander Zverev matches that I, I felt mm. less comfortable watching. I just felt... Um, a lack of joy watching the sport in general a little bit this week, given the, as we've detailed, the disappointing response. Matt watched some doubles in an attempt to find a sort of mm. safe haven of joy. <laughs> tell us about tell what us about the, the doubles, doubles Matt. <laughs> yes, I very I did enjoy seeing Felix Auger Seam and Hubert Hercatch, a couple of good eggs, I think, um, teaming up and winning the title in Paris. I think it's only their second ever tournament together. And yet they beat the number one seeds, the number seven seeds, the number four seeds. And then in the final, the number two seeds, Pavic and Suarez. And it was an incredibly dramatic end to the match. Pavic and Suarez had five match points in the second set tie break. They were all saved. And then it went to a match tie break and Australia Seaman Hercatch couldn't, miss i mean everything they hit just hit the line even all the miss hits were hitting the line and um yeah they just had some very warm warm words for each other afterwards and uh i was just um uplifted by by their victory and thinking that they must be one of the youngest doubles pairings i mean i think them together is probably younger than some of the players on their own on the doubles court you know <laughs> um yeah and it was it was one of those interesting matches they were playing from the baseline Pavic and Suarez were up at the net it was just a it was just a good contrast of sort of styles and yeah it was it was it was a it was a good story this week what happened to Herbert Mau they lost oof. I, I I joined the doubles tournament late, <laughs> uh, and they and they weren't in the final I think they might have lost in the quarters oh, a mixed week for bromances mm. Indeed. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science, with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. 
Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Uh, how much of the singles tournament did we did we all watch? I think all of our uh, predictions died a very early death. Would that be safe to say? Yeah, I was I was pretty excited about um, <laughs> Alex Dimonor for about <laughs> ten minutes, um, especially when he went a set up against uh, the eventual champion Daniel Medvedev, which I'm going to cling to that the fact that he lost to the eventual champion, um, but. It was it was quite interesting reading what Medvedev was saying afterwards or hearing about what he was saying afterwards, in, I think to his wife, about how he just – how disillusioned he was with his own form. I mean, he's had a rough time, hasn't mm. he, really, on the court of late. Um, just hasn't – I mean, he's had some some good wins here and there, but but it's, it's not been like last year. Um, and then, yeah, there he was, a set down against Dimonor, and I think he won the next two – Six two six two, and he was just off. He was off and running, um, and just playing that metronomic tennis of his. We used the yeah, word. There's that word. <laughs> yeah, metronomic winning of titles has commenced. Um, but uh, he was, um, and he beat Raonic. You know, big server coming at him, and it was interesting watching a guy like Raonic just trying to decode the machine of Daniel Medvedev when Medvedev is is on. You know, on a, and particularly on a surface like that, that you've really got to do something special, or he's got to malfunction. And neither of those two things were were happening for anybody. Um, so, yeah, he played really well. He played really well, Medvedev. Mm, he needed it, didn't he? Needed that week. Yeah, I, th- I think I read that last season he reached twelve semi-finals, and this was only his second of this season. I mean, obviously, it's been. A shortened year but there's a huge disparity there um i was actually impressed you know you mentioned that kind of metronomic winning and that is that is plan a i think for him i was actually kind of impressed in the final with the different options he seemed to have at his disposal he was occasionally serving volleying he was hitting quite a lot of slice backhands mm. and it, it kind of made me realize that there is actually quite a lot to his game I think when he's at his best I think we think back to what he did to Djokovic in Cincinnati last year when he completely changed his style mid-match to win he is perhaps a little bit more malleable than I maybe often give him credit for um and yeah he he was he was impressive and he's and he's coming into form just in time for the ATP finals obviously yeah which which will be pleasing for him I think because at last year's ATP finals when he was coming in off the back of a far better year that actually ended up being to his detriment those 12 semi-finals because he just had nothing in the tank did he um he was just sort of he was a he was a ghost of a man on the court so i i suspect i suspect he'll have his eye on the uh, on the ATP finals wouldn't you think mm. I, I i always find that a bit of a deflating experience to to watch the ATP finals when there's the obvious player who's got nothing left in the tank. And last year that was Medvedev. You just saw no matter how hard he pushed the foot to the floor, Mm -mm. it just wasn't responding in any way. Um, And he's a, and he was a shadow of himself. And we've seen it in the past. I think once, I think Djokovic has tended to hit a wall once or twice. I mean, obviously he's had many, many years when he's won it, but it's usually been halfway through that he's, that he's hit the wall. Nadal has, has come in a lot of years just looking completely out of, out of steam and, um, and unable to really play his best tennis there. But I think Medvedev's might have been the starkest yet last year <laughs> from, from a guy who you just always expect to be able to bring a certain level and he just couldn't. Mm. Uh, incidentally, the ATP finals lineup is now complete. It has been completed by Diego Schwartzman. He clinched the final spot in Paris last week. Um, he did it uh, by virtue of Pablo Carreño Busta 
who was also in the running. Karenia Buster lost out to Rafael Nadal, uh, which handed Diego Schwartzman his first ever qualifying spot in the ATP finals, which is a nice, nice little story. I think uh, going into last week, it was Karenia Buster, Berrettini and Schwartzman who were in with a chance. And it, to me, Schwartzman feels like the, the most valid of those to qualify with all due respect to the others. I mean, Karenia Buster would have, would have been a good shout as well. Obviously he's had a, a great latter um, stage of the year, but Berrettini would have been qualifying off the back of his success from 2019 and heavily boosted by the adjustment to the ranking system. Whereas Schwartzman has had some of his best ever results this year. It just, it feels, it feels appropriate that Schwartzman is qualified to me. Yeah. I think we have a field which reflects the best players of this strange year that we've had. And that's what you want at the ATP finals. Um, I really understand why they adjusted the rankings, but for the sake of this tournament, I think it's important that we do have the players who've played well this year. You know, Berrettini got his chance last year. Schwartzman gets his chance and Rublev get their chance this year. Um, And there's, there's a part of me that is anxious about the ATP finals, given everything we've talked about at the front of this episode, given the lack of crowd in such a big arena, but the fact that players hopefully are a bit fresher than they normally are. And the fact that we've got a lot of informed players there there's a lot of potential, I think, for it to be an exciting week with a lot of a lot of good matches uh, between informed players. When when you say, Matt, I understand why they did it. Uh, I presume you mean in order to prevent Christian Garin from qualifying. Because <laughs> <laughs> um... at the time they introduced the ranking changes, wasn't Garin in pole position? Poor old yeah. <laughs> I mean, he he sort of kept himself in contention for a while. <laughs> but yes, um, it, it did feel a bit like a Christian Garin rule. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it wasn't, that was a joke, folks, just in case you didn't know. Um, but um, the, the Paris lack of crowd was the most jarring that I've experienced yet, I would say. I found that mm. I found that as was another reason that the whole thing was tough to watch throughout the week. I mean, I I, I do agree with you. You know, the, the 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 feelings that have that have emanated from this this story and reading it, um, and particularly when the the player concern was playing, uh, it, all of it uh, has just been a tough a tough experience to watch relative to the rest of the the tennis circuit that we're used to. But when there is just nobody there in an indoor stadium like that. And it'll be interesting to see whether the O2 feels different in that regard, whether they can make the show such that it doesn't feel like this. But, oh dear, it was a tough, it was, it was, it was soulless, really. Um, seeing blazing winners and silence, nothing. You know, it's, um, it really hit me, actually. Yeah, it it was... It was a flat week, wasn't it? It was a very, very flat week, and I don't, I don't have enough of a sample size of of tournaments, um, certainly of the size of Paris, to know how much. Even taking this very situation out of it, how much of that is about indoor tournaments being particularly susceptible to the downsides yeah. of not having crowds? I do wonder. Um, if it if it amplifies the downsides i mean we will I th- find I think out it does yeah you, you've never got a plane going over or anything you've just got nothing to break up the the silence at all um and i think it's probably made worse by the fact that we've had some weeks with some crowd mm. so we've kind of just forgotten a little bit how quiet it was at the u.s open but at the u.s open there was all the the music for instance and that they could have and and it just that this this was the weirdest of the lot. Bring back the swag. <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> and the dog. The swag, the dog, ATP finals. If you're listening, these are the things required to to distract from an otherwise uh, rubbish atmosphere. If you put mattresses around the court and put dogs on them, no one will notice that there's no crowd. 
Mm. And player suites. <laughs> I, I, I thought that was great at the US Open. Oh, I thought, I, I thought seems to have been abandoned. Suites, S W E E T S. There, I mean, those would presumably be a boost as well. <laughs> or su- suites for dogs. Yeah, yeah. All of these Listen things. Dogs I mean, and a lounger in your suite. Suites must be possible in theory at the O2 Arena. There's only eight players. Yeah, they've got that middle yeah. circuit, haven't they? Yeah, it, it might be possible for for broadcasters also. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm entering the uh, the biosecure bubble on Thursday, folks. Um, Good luck. <laughs> yeah, uh, Prime are going to be on site uh, with our usual studio at the O2 Arena. Um, so I'm going to be experiencing one of these... Um, covid times events firsthand and although elements of it i have trepidation about um i'm looking forward to having experienced it and sort of looking back and and knowing that sort of i was on the on the front line of tennis in its toughest time i suppose i think it you know listening to how mary talked about the uso from for example i'm i'm looking forward to sounding half as interesting as as she does about the experience well and also i mean she wasn't she was wary of the of the experience Mm. before it wasn't she and she wasn't 100 percent sure whether the u.s open should happen and and all that sort of thing but um yeah when she ended up going she was really glad she did go um and uh yeah it's it, you're going to be one of the few there. There's not going to be a lot of media on site, and um, yeah, we'll we'll look forward to hearing your stories. Do, do you remember that podcast when uh, we, we all thought we'd been locked in the O2 Arena, never to escape? I've still got the video. <laughs> uh, well, I'm going to have that experience for ten days, <laughs> quite literally. Yeah, and you won't have Matt to lead the way. <laughs> As we had then. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be interesting. And uh, there's going to be daily podcasts. Hey. From a first time podcasts have ever been done daily from a biosecure bubble, possibly. From in it, yeah. Yeah, we've been doing them about them all the time. <laughs> and we've been doing them about the bubble because there was no tennis. But <laughs> we haven't actually done anybody. We haven't actually had any... But it's sort of, as you say, infiltrate it. No. I mean, I think the whole <laughs> the whole point of a bubble is that it can't be infiltrated, I hope, anyway. Mm. Um, the WTA Tour is reaching its slightly uh, unlikely climax this week in Linz, Austria. Um, and we were just going over the draw uh, for this tournament before coming on air. And we were expecting everyone to show up for this because there's not been WTA event for a couple of weeks. There's not going to be one now for, for well, a couple of, couple of months. Um, <laughs> and so we were expecting sort of everyone to rock up for the last opportunity to play some professional tennis. And it's, it's an okay draw. Arena Sabalenka is, is the top seed. Uh, Elise Mertens, the second seed. You've got uh, uh, Nadia Podoroska, the French Open semi-finalist. Uh, who else have we got? Veronica Kudamatova, Katerina Alexandrova, Yastremska's in there, Jill Teichman. But it's it's not the great and the good, frankly, that we were perhaps anticipating. No, well, if you consider the eighth seed is Bernardo Pera, the 61st player ranked in the world, that's not a lofty top eight in comparison, as you say, with what I would certainly have expected. Looking down that draw, there are, there's only two or three players that are non-European based, non-Europe based. Um, And if you think back a year ago, it was Coco Goff who won the title. Yeah, it's, I mean, look, there's there's not a huge amount of prize money. It's $20,000 for the champion. Um, going down to less than two thousand for for losing in the first round, and I suppose it's it's an isolated week, isn't it? There's the there's just the, there is no other tennis on the WTA tour uh, the week after, which a lot of time the players would build in. I'm still surprised. I am surprised um, that that more players just weren't desperate to get one more week in. 
I think there's this tension or contradiction between players feeling very grateful to have the opportunity to play tennis and have tournaments to compete and earn prize money. And yet, on the other hand, just feeling fatigued and weary by what's been a what's what's been a sort of difficult stretch I imagine mentally and emotionally you know Goffan has talked about this on the men's side and Nishioka I think as well it's not normal there's you know they're having to do constant testing they're basically just in their hotel and I think eventually that can take its toll and maybe as you said given that this is just a one-stop event some players have just thought you know what I'll just shut it down now and you know we've had a decent run of events take what we can get and kind of just focus on myself a little bit now and just try and try and have a bit of an off season before what's looking like a very early trip to Australia. Yes. Uh, in terms of Australia, we have had some some information coming out this week. Um, it's increasingly likely that the ATP Cup will be played uh, in Melbourne at Melbourne Park. So sort of creating a Melbourne bubble for ATP Cup and then the Australian Open. What will happen with the the women's tournaments uh, that would ordinarily take place in, in the build-up to the Australian Open. I don't quite know. What we have read um, in the Daily Mail this week via Mike Dixon um, is some comments from, from Craig Tiley of Tennis Australia suggesting that uh, Australia might create a longer uh, Australian swing, if you like, some tournaments beyond the Australian Open to keep the players down there sort of once they're in that bubble to make that stay sort of even more worthwhile. Um, it's not confirmed at this stage, but it's something that that they say they're, they're in discussions about. And I can certainly, I can see the arguments for, for doing that. Um, absolutely. You know, once you're, once you're in a bubble, especially a bubble in a place that's, as Australia is, it seems to be doing so much better than a lot of the other tennis hosting nations at controlling COVID-19 and, and also obviously a, a place in the world that is this going into the downswing of the virus in terms of the seasons. Um, it makes sense to, to stay there for as long as possible. Now there are obvious, obvious downsides to it as well. It's a long time, uh, away from from home for for a lot of players and and other scheduled tournaments they're sort of getting replaced which would have financial implications for them as well but if they were unable to stage themselves anyway then is there any opportunity cost i mean the the implications of all of these sorts of decisions are so far reaching but i can certainly i can certainly see why it's something that's on the table mm. well i mean there's the period back in the spring wasn't there when tennis re-established itself locally not on a tour but on an on its kind of exhibition circuit and we had obviously the the not so uh impressive ones like the adria tour um but we had the the british swing and in a way this is almost like a little regional tour that craig tiley's talking to mike about and i think that for the next year that the ATP and the WTA are going to have to be as nimble as they can possibly be to just make things work, to just go along with with initiatives like that and be innovative so that there are possibilities that otherwise they wouldn't have had to worry about in normal times. But in the current circumstances, that tennis may just not happen unless you're able to do things like that. Do you think Craig watched Cologne 1 and 2 and thought, get me some of that? <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, I could well imagine him him looking at that and thinking, and also the the back to back Cincinnati and New York tournaments, and think, well, th- there's a seed of an idea there. Imagine what I could do with it, mm-hmm. because what one thing that mm-hmm. Aus- tennis Australia has shown itself able to do is produce in these and when we go right back to when Indian Wells was cancelled and, and we had the what happens when tennis stops conversation, I always sort of looked at. The Australian Open is having got so much time to work this out. Now, obviously, they've got they've got to make sure the government gives them enough latitude to to be able to to act. But if anyone can do it and really do it well, I can imagine it would be them. Mm. I think they'll come up with sexier names than Melbourne One, Melbourne Two, Melbourne Three. 
I'd be I'd quite miss it now though. Now that we've got into that little numbering policy, perhaps they'll combine Cologne and Ostrava, and it'll be Melbourne one, Melbourne two, <laughs> Melbourne three. <laughs> so you're just saying it missed out on exclamation marks. Otherwise, it would have worked. Mm. They were that close. <laughs> Mm. Um, Roger Federer has been talking up his chances at Melbourne what will it be Melbourne 2 <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Australian Open anyway soon to become Melbourne uh, Melbourne 2 or 3 can't quite work that one out uh, he uh, as reported by Simon Briggs in the Telegraph has said he's preparing to leave Europe early for quote big Australian Open Uh well, actually, it's his coach, Ivan Lubacic, that's been uh, making these bullish comments about uh, how Roger Federer is recovering from the two keyhole surgeries he's had on his right knee over the course of the last uh, nine months or so. He says he's in the recovery phase, Lubacic said to OK Tennis. Uh, he said, I would say that things are going in the best way. He trains more and more and better and better. There is a lot of confidence so quite, quite, I know these aren't from the horse's mouth uh, comments, but quite different in tone to to when Federer was coming into the 2017 Australia season after his first sort of real surgery and injury setback of his career. That was, that was the, it's a good draw because I'm in the draw uh, tournament, you know, with no expectations or certainly publicly saying he had no expectations. So, I don't know, it's a slightly different approach. I mean, maybe he's furious at Lubacic for, for being so bullet, <laughs> bullish, who knows. But I doubt it because Lubacic is very careful with what he says, isn't he? And he's he? said very little yeah. in the, in, since they've worked together. I mean, a guy as gregarious as Ivan, who does give great interviews, has just decided to not make himself available for any and i know this because i've asked him for about five <laughs> um i mean mind you he did he did take part in tennis relived so we'll let him off um but uh but yeah i mean he's he said later in that piece um we want to leave as early as possible play this big australian open and then evaluate um but yeah i can i can well imagine that federer just acclimatizing himself very early and and are seeing a lot of probably quite a lot of video of Roger Federer looking imperious uh in in those few weeks of practice and and whatever build that they're able to have uh, are likely to be in our future mm. well that sounds fine to me videos of yeah. Federer in the sunshine looking imperious perhaps posing with a quokka I'm uh, I'm here for it and for the uh, accompanying FOMO, which uh, I'm sure will hit me very hard. Um, just one last bit of business um, from Australia. Another um, sad and uh, distressing story that's emerged, um, well, everywhere really in uh, in tennis news, but it was originally in Sydney's Sunday Telegraph newspaper. Some uh, some comments from Nick Kyrgios about. Uh, his struggle with depression, um, which he says left him in a lonely, dark place. Um, he was talking in particular about a period in in 2018 when he was really struggling. He says it wasn't just about tennis. He said there were moments when I was seriously depressed. He said, I remember waking up in Shanghai one year and it was 4pm and I was still in bed, curtains closed. I didn't want to see the light of day. He said, I, I felt like nobody wanted to know me as a person. They just wanted to get a hold of me as a tennis player and use me. I didn't feel like I could trust anyone. It was a lonely, dark place and things came from that. I just lost joy for the game and I was spiralling out of control. He said, I fell into depression because of the things I thought I had to be said Kyrgios, I was afraid to go out and talk to people because I thought I'd let them down because I wasn't winning matches. Um, he, he doesn't say explicitly or specifically whether that's all in the past and uh, and he feels feels okay. And I mean, obviously he's not played tennis um, since uh, since the tour's resumption, but, but I certainly hope um, he is sort of working on all those kind of complex emotions that obviously arise from, from playing tennis. It's no news that Nick Kyrgios is a complex guy and that there's, there's a lot more to him than the, 
then the bravado he he sometimes tries to give off um mm. and and those words don't come as a, a huge surprise to to hear that that is his truth um you know i didn't necessarily think he would say them publicly now or any time in the future i wasn't uh, there was no assumption for me but it's not a surprise that that's how he was feeling and and that's the effect he the the the, the tour life was was having on him and i think that it can easily be lost on people that don't do it that aren't tennis players or don't travel the world with the tennis tour and how glamorous it looks and how easy it can look and how easy someone like curious can make it look then actually it's not always that easy um it can be very lonely waking up as as he describes sort of with jet lag in the middle of the the afternoon or something like that uh, in a in a place where you you're not surrounded by people you want to be with necessarily it can be very testing i've heard this from a lot of players i mean cracky i've experienced little bits of it myself you know just with with the the weirdness of it all it's not home um and he is somebody who clearly loves being at home um so yeah anyway wish him well mm, it is going to be interesting when the tennis tour resumes whether th this period of enforced being at home ends up kind of refreshing him and kind of in a canistery way sort of replenishing his his canister for the future or whether that being at home just reinforces those feelings for him of how important that is for him uh, and how much that is his comfort zone in contrast to the the tennis tour which which isn't it could go could go either way couldn't it, it could uh, could make it more difficult to to return to the tour um well, i'm certainly looking forward to seeing him play um in the australian swing uh, in in Melbourne's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, <laughs> eleven. Who knows how many there could be? Um, any more for any more? Do we have any other business from the week that was, folks? And by business, There's I mean little... dog news. Yeah, I don't have any of that. There was one little bit of coaching news, wasn't there? Felix Auger-Aliassime parting ways with one of his two coaches i think it was yes, yes. the one that's not freddie fontang yeah um and deciding i think he's going to just work exclusively with uh with fontang in the future uh, as things stand um but this is the time of year isn't it this is the time of year when you get all sorts of little alterations i noticed um carolina pliskova has stopped working with danny valvadu um, mm. And he's also coaching Stan Wawrinka, isn't he? And but, uh, um, David Goffin yeah, has you, you, split with Thomas Johansson again. Yeah, yeah, they've they've had a couple of time, periods of time together. Guillermo Marx Marx is the long term coach of I think Guillaume uh, Guillaume Marx. Is it? Yeah. Oh, sorry. The the French, yes, which right. is the French version of Guillermo. Same yeah, vibe. Not, not to, <laughs> that was that was an appalling. <laughs> mispronunciation for me um yeah so well that's going to be interesting i mean we have talked about the i think the whole tennis world has talked about the need for some some technical adjustments from auger aliasim so let's see let's see matt any more for any more brackets dog news got anything for me we'll accept bruce springsteen news <sighs> no i really don't and i haven't got any shout outs today we thought it was a bit of a downbeat episode to give people their shout out on but but i would say um in sort of related dog news maybe maybe a shout out to russell and brad and yes you know who who were lovely butlers owners yeah thinking yeah. of them and everyone in america of course yeah we are we're thinking of all our our listeners um definitely brad and russell um steve and joe uh cam's owners who were um yeah, going through it at the moment. We're thinking of you. American Andrew, uh, we're thinking of him as well in New York. Yes, he's 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 quite literally been affected by the election in that he was so consumed by, as you said, checking checking the various counties. He was even doing that while out for a run and he ran into a tree while... Um, <laughs> <laughs> while checking the results on his phone and now has a gash on his face oh but, no but as he said it is it is the year of the mask so <laughs> when he's 
<laughs> when he's out in public, he can at least uh, <laughs> cover it up. <laughs> Gosh, that's going to be a very memorable scar if it does scar. Mm. He's in my bad books at the moment. Anyway. The Bills. Yeah, Buffalo Bills beat my Seattle he- Seahawks last night. Right. So I'm fuming. That definitely is Andrew's fault. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you've Agreed. defected. You've defected to a different type of football because our type of football is going so darn badly on these shores. There's no need to to talk about that any further. Um, We're going to be back with another podcast on Thursday. What are we talking about then? Oh, we're talking probably about the draw. Yep, tennis. uh, We'll be talking talking about tennis, folks. Uh, A little teaser preview for you there. We'll be talking about tennis with another one of these podcasts on Thursday. Um, Yeah, it's it's been a pleasure to speak to you, even though uh, it's not always uh, been the easiest of episodes to record. But we'll be back on Thursday with another one of these. And uh, yeah, stay safe, stay home if you're in the UK and uh, we'll speak to you soon. 